0: Let's turn in God's Word this evening to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes 7. These are the words of the preacher, the son of David Solomon. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Say not thou, What is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider. God also hath set the one over against the other, to the end that man should find nothing after him. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity, there is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Be not righteous overmuch, neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldst thou destroy thyself? Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldst thou die before thy time? It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this, yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men which are in the city. For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Also take no heed unto all words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. For oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others. All this have I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? I applied mine heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom in the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman, whose heart is snares and nets, and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one, to find out the account which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Thus far we read the holy and inspired Word of God May God bless the reading of his holy scriptures unto our hearts. The text that we consider this evening is verses 13 and 14. consider the work of God. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider. God also hath set the one over against the other, to the end that man should find nothing after him. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the purpose of a prayer day service, as it has been established by our Reformed Fathers many, many years ago, is not specifically to teach us about prayer, or about the necessity of prayer, or about the manner of prayer, But rather, the purpose of a prayer day service is to ask for God's blessing upon the upcoming crop season. It is to ask for God to give rain and sunshine, to ask for God to give strength to those who plant crops, those who labor with both crops and with animals, so that there might be food for God's people. It is the springtime equivalent of Thanksgiving in the fall time. In the springtime, we are looking ahead, anticipating the upcoming growing season. In the fall time, we're looking back and we're thanking God for what He has provided for us. And so with that in mind, then we look at a text that teaches us about labor. The reality is that not all of us, in fact for many of us, we are not specifically connected to agriculture, that we depend on agriculture and farming. Few of us are actually farmers. But God is pleased to use the means of our labor as the means by which we have an income. And from that income, then we purchase food from the farmers. And so we look this evening then at a text that teaches us about labor. And especially it teaches us about the environment in which we labor. Consider, the wise man says, consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? What is the environment in which you labor? The word of God is, it's crooked. Your workplace is crooked. Whether you as a mother toil in the home or whether you as a husband toil in the shop, in the office, in the school, the workplace is crooked. And who can make straight what God has made crooked? God's crooked works. First of all, we'll ask, what? What are these crooked works? Secondly, how? And by that, we intend to ask the question, how are we to respond to these crooked works? How do we respond? Third, why? For what purpose has God ordained that there be crooked works? What, how, why? Consider the work of God, for who can make straight which he hath made crooked? The reality is, there is that which is crooked upon this earth. And you do not need me to defend that reality nor do you really even need me to explain that reality. For anyone who has spent any length of time upon this earth already understands and believes this reality that the earth is crooked. That word crooked means to pervert something, or look li- quite literally, to take something and turn it upside down. That's the idea of crookedness. Something once was upright. Something was behaving the way that it ought to behave. It was doing what was expected of it. And now something has so acted upon that thing that instead of it behaving or acting in an upright way, it has been turned upside down. It malfunctions. It does not perform the way that we would expect it to perform. And how often do not our lives feel that very way? that they are upside down. A day might start out good, things are going smoothly, but then there comes a hiccup throughout the course of the day where we receive news that something is not working the way that we had anticipated that it would work. And it's a significant thing in our lives, and it turns our day upside down. Down. Maybe it can be the word spoken to you by your neighbor. Which word so hurts and so stings that you cannot take those words out of your mind and it turns your whole day upside down. Maybe it's the sin of a child. And as you see that child break, God's holy law, it turns your day upside down. Crooked. To be perverted. That is, turned upside down. That there are crooked works on this earth means that there is something defective with those works. If the carpenter's rule, ruler is crooked then that carpenter's ruler is no longer effective at doing what the carpenter was going to use that ruler for. If the road which once was flat now has potholes in it and is giving people flat tires then that crooked road is no longer doing what it was intended to do. That that which is crooked is defective is not just our experience, our lived experience, but this is the very Word of God. We read in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 15, that which is crooked cannot... Be made straight. And that which is wanting cannot be numbered. And that word wanting in the second half of the verse is literally defective. That which is defective cannot be numbered. There is in this verse what's called a Hebrew parallelism, where the first half of the verse is parallel to the second half of the verse. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting, defective, cannot be numbered. So according to this Hebrew parallelism then, that which is crooked is parallel to that which is wanting, that which is defective. The crooked thing is defective. It's malfunctioning. It is not performing the way that it was originally intended to perform. What then comes under this sphere of crookedness? What is is included under these things that have been turned upside down? The reality is that everything on this earth falls under the category of that which is crooked. Relationships are crooked, are turned upside down. Marriages are crooked. How many worldly marriages do not end with that marriage upside down? Husband and wife no longer willing to live in a house together, but separating and even divorcing one from another. What falls under this category of that which is crooked what includes my labors, my toils that I do. The mother, as she labors with her children and toils to bring up those children and provide meals for the children and keep the house and prepare meals for her children and her husband, the wife experiences the crookedness of raising up children inside the home. The husband has no different experience as he labors to provide for the family. How often throughout the course of the day doesn't the worker, the laborer in the workforce, experience brokenness, tools, break, computers, malfunction, and they always seem to malfunction at the worst time possible, do they not? As we toil and as we labor on this earth, there is that which is crooked, Upside down. We toil and we labor in the midst of crookedness. And that is to say nothing about crookedness in our bodies. Sometimes our minds feel like they are turned upside down due to the stress. The responsibilities, the weighty burdens that are placed upon us. It feels as if one more burden is put on our plate that our whole world will come collapsing down. The body weakens, deteriorates, until at last the body gives up the ghost. And it's put down in the ground and that body returns to the dust. Crooked. Now the astounding statement of this text is that these crooked works are attributed to God. These are God's crooked works. Verse 13, Ecclesiastes 7, Consider the work of God. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? That borderline seems like heresy to say that God is the one who is responsible for crooked works. If it is the case that that which is crooked is that which has been turned upside down, if it is the case that that which is crooked is malfunctioning, even defective, something is wanting, from that thing, then can we truly say that God's works are crooked? To say that God's works are crooked seems akin to saying that God's works are sinful. That God has done something immoral. That God has done something that is not holy and that is not upright and that is not just, but that God has done something that is fallen, that is depraved, that is corrupt. And we all understand that that cannot be then the explanation of this verse. For we believe that God is good and that God is the overflowing fountain of all good. The psalmist confesses, Psalm 18, verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. And in the Belgic Confession, our Reformed Fathers likewise confess this truth that, according to Belgic Confession, Article 13, God neither is the author of nor can be charged with the sins that are committed. And so it cannot be the case here that as the wise writer of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says that God's ways are crooked, that the writer here of this book is charging God with sin. Nor are we charging God with sin. But instead there is a distinction that must be drawn here between that which is sinful on the one hand, and that which is crooked on the other hand. God's ways are crooked, for who can make straight that which he hath made crooked? But God's ways are not sinful. What is the relationship then between that which is crooked on the one hand and that which is sinful on the other hand? The relationship is this, beloved, there is crookedness on this earth because of man's sinfulness. The crookedness that is spoken of here in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 13, is, is precisely this it is the curse which has come upon this creation. And that curse which came upon this creation is a curse which God pronounced on this earth because man reached, uh, reached out and partook of that forbidden fruit. God warned Adam and Eve, the day thou eatest, death. So because man partook of that forbidden fruit, then God came and God pronounced this curse upon The earth, crookedness, to the woman, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow, thou shalt bring forth children to the man, cursed is the ground for thy sake in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return to the ground. That's why there's crookedness. Because you and I, as we were represented in our head, Adam are guilty because we reached out and because we sinned against God. God has taken that which is straight and God has made it crooked as part of God's curse upon this earth. And try though man might, man cannot remove this will of God from the earth. Man cannot take that which is crooked and make it straight. Who, the writer asks, who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? Crooked? The answer is nobody who walks upon the face of this earth can make straight what God has made crooked. What this verse teaches us, then, is what is our relationship to this earth to supposed to be? What do I do now that I understand that this earth is. Crooked, what is my calling? What is my duty? Understanding that I cannot take that which is crooked and make it straight. What am I to do? How then do we respond? The response that the child is to have to the crookedness of this earth is given us In verse 14, In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider. Now before we look specifically at the meaning of these words here, of how we are to respond, let's note first of all what God does not call us to do in our response to our understanding that this earth is crooked. Two things that we note specifically that God does not call us to do in our response. First, God does not call us to take that which is crooked and make it to be straight. Nor must we imagine that that is our duty and that that is our responsibility on this earth that we are to look around and that we are to find every last thing that is defective in our lives, that we are to find every malfunction, that we are to find everything that is not operating the way that it should be operating, and that then our hands should be involved in that, and we should be meddling in this, and we should be trying to take every last thing that we can find that is crooked, and we should make it to be straight. That is not what God calls us here to do in this text. The perfectionist struggles with that. And struggles mightily with that. The perfectionist sets high standards for himself or herself. The perfectionist has a good vision of how things should go. And the perfectionist then wishes that he or she would have the ability to take that which is crooked and make it straight. The difficulty, the weakness of the perfectionist is not that they have high standards. It's not that they have a good vision of which direction one should go. But the difficulty that the perfectionist struggles with is this reality. They can't fix everything. There always is that which is broken in their lives. You see, Jacob and his mother, Rebecca had to learn that lesson. Jacob recognized that there was a problem, that he needed to get that birthright blessing from his father. But instead of trusting that his heavenly father would be able to turn the heart of his father Isaac so that Isaac would give him that blessing, Jacob and his mother Rebekah decided that they had to take matters in their own hands. They had to take that which was crooked and make it straight. And even if it meant they had to resort to devious and deceptive means, they were willing to do it. Jacob and his mother Rebecca had to learn what every perfectionist needs to learn there always is that which is crooked, and we cannot make it straight. The second thing that we are not called to do in our response to the fact that there is brokenness on this earth is to become bitter and then indolent, lazy. And that's a real temptation too. One, seeing the brokenness on this earth seeing that there are relationships that are broken, seeing that there are physical things in the workplace that are broken, seeing that bodies suffer and are broken, and eventually the bodies will return to the dust. There is a temptation, on the other hand, to become angry and bitter about all of the brokenness that is upon this earth. And then simply to throw one's hands up in despair and say, I can't do it. If there's this much brokenness and this much corruption on this earth, I, I, I just can't do it anymore. And then that person just checks out of any type of involvement in the workplace, any type of involvement in the school, any type of involvement in... The church has too much brokenness and I can't handle all of the crookedness in this congregation, in this school, in this home, in this marriage, and so I'm done. I'm checking out. That's not what God calls us to do either. See, Elijah struggled with that. Elijah had been given a mighty victory by God on Mount Carmel. But then the very next day, where was Elijah at? Under the juniper tree. Asking God to take his life. I can't do it anymore. I'm done. It's not what God calls us to do. Yes, there is crookedness. Yes, there are things that are turned Upside down. But what does God call us to do? Understanding that reality. Two things He tells us. Verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. The day of Prosperity. Sometimes it is God's good pleasure to grant us a day of prosperity. It seems that it is just a day, a brief moment, and then that day of prosperity is over. And it goes back to being times of adversity. But sometimes God gives us that day, that day of Prosperity, that day when things go smoothly, that day when we do not as keenly experience the brokenness and the hurt and the curse that rests upon this creation. Sometimes God gives us that day where everything seems to go smoothly. The work, we finish our checklists, At the home, the children are obedient. Our marriages are strong. There's peace in the church and in the school and in our homes. What do we do in that day of prosperity? In the day of prosperity, God says, be thankful. Be thankful because God has given that day of prosperity. We enjoy the day of prosperity not so much because we labored so hard and because we are so productive and because we managed to conquer brokenness on this earth, but rather we enjoy that day of prosperity because God in His goodness opened wide His hand unto us and gave us freely that day of prosperity. And so be thankful, not proud, but be thankful to God when He gives unto us that day of prosperity. For happy is that people whose God is the Lord. In the day of prosperity, be thankful. But what about when there isn't prosperity? But in the day of Adversity, consider. And the same thing that we said about it being a day of prosperity, we must repeat here as well. It is but a day of adversity. Sometimes it doesn't seem that way. Sometimes it seems like this Day of adversity goes on and on and on. Sometimes it seems that there is no light at the end of the tunnel and how will I ever get through this day of adversity? Remember, beloved, it's a day. That's God's word. And a day has a beginning. And a day has an ending. God has an end determined to that day of adversity. I don't know when that end to the day of adversity is, but God knows when the end will be for that day of adversity. So remember, it's a day of prosperity, and it's a day of adversity. And what do we do in that day of adversity? Adversity, consider. Consider God. See, that's the purpose that God puts trials in our lives. It is so that we might, according to Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. God puts trials in our lives, not because He hates us, not because He is driving us away from Him, but rather God gives unto us the day of adversity, because whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. God gives unto us the day of adversity, not to drive us away from Him, but rather to to draw us unto Himself. God gives unto us that day of adversity so that our spiritual senses might be sharpened so that we can see more and more our sins, our shortcomings, and obeying God's holy commandments so that we might see how prone we are by nature to hate both God and the neighbor, and that then we might with the spirit of humility cry out unto the God who alone is evil, and then by faith to believe that that evil God is also our willing Father. In the day of adversity, consider. Why? Consider this, that God also has set the one over against the other to this end, to the end that man should find nothing after Him. That's why there is that which is crooked in this world, which man cannot make straight. It is to this end, that man should find nothing after him. Not the easiest of phrases to understand, but it means that man should find nothing after him. But if we use this verse to help guide us, the verse helps give unto us the explanation that man should find nothing after him. The question is, what does the nothing refer to? Well, the nothing refers back to earlier in the verse when it says that God has set the one over against the other. God has set the one over against the other. The one refers to the day of prosperity. So on the one hand, God gives the day of prosperity, and God has set that day of prosperity to be over against the other day. The other day is the day of adversity. God, in His sovereign control, gives both. He gives a day of prosperity, and He gives a day of adversity. Now, at the conclusion of this verse, God says to this end, for this purpose, that man should find nothing after Him. And the nothing refers to those varied experiences that the child of God has while walking upon this earth. While we go through this earthly pilgrimage, we fluctuate back and forth. Sometimes we have a day of prosperity, and other times we have a day of adversity. Sometimes there are days that are good, and sometimes there are days that are evil, corrupt. Sometimes there are days or even years of plenty where we have an abundance of things of this earth and other times there are days and even years where there's poverty and the shortage a shortage of the basic essentials of the things of this earth and for as long as god is pleased to have us on this earthly pilgrimage we 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 vacillate back and forth between this day of prosperity on the one hand and this day of adversity on the other hand this earth is like a school, our school teaching us about God's sovereign control as we go from one extreme to the other extreme. The day of adversity to the day of prosperity. But then the writer says to this end that man should find nothing after him the nothing refers to the swinging back and forth from the day of prosperity to the day of adversity. After death, we no longer will swing back and forth like a pendulum from the one to the other. But after death, man's state will be fixed. Either man will find after death that he receives a day of adversity and that day of adversity will continue into all eternity or man finds after death that he is given a day of prosperity. And that day of prosperity will continue into all eternity. But there will be, after death, no more the fluctuation back and forth between the day of prosperity and the day of adversity. Consider the works of God to this end, that man should find nothing after him. After we toil on this earth for 70 or perhaps 80 years on this earth, then there will come after that point no longer any opportunity to go from one unto the other. And so there is then here a solemn calling, a warning to the one who is walking in ways of unrepentance, to the one who refuses to consider the works of God, to the one who refuses to humble himself to the hand of God as the Lord chastens him in this life. To that individual there is the solemn calling, even the warning, repent, For there comes that day wherein nothing will be after you. That is, you will no longer have opportunity to fluctuate back and forth between the day of adversity and the day of prosperity, but instead to the unrepentant, stubborn, proud individual. For that individual there is only the day of adversity. That awaits him, weeping and gnashing of teeth, while you're on this earth, toil. But for the child of God, there is quite the opposite. For him there is the day of prosperity and the day of prosperity only. What comfort to know that after this death, there will be no more the fluctuations, the swinging back and forth from adversity to prosperity, adversity to prosperity. That the only thing that awaits the child of God after death is the day of prosperity. And this because of the finished work of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is this that God himself became subject to crookedness. He who was upright was turned upside down. He who was pure and who knew no sin became Sin for you and for me. He who is everlasting, who is the Word, and who was with God in the beginning, became subject to time and all of the restraints of time. And he who is Immortal, became subject to death. God's only begotten Son became crooked for your sakes and for mine. He took on the curse of God and paid the price at Calvary. And so again, the question is asked Who can make straight what God hath made crooked? The answer is Jesus. Jesus takes that which is deformed, and that which malfunctions, and that which is wanting, and Jesus. Perfect, All praise be to Him. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word, which teaches us that Thou art the sovereign and unchanging Lord of hosts, who is sovereign not only over that which is good, Thou art also sovereign over that which is crooked. May we with deepest humility adore thy righteous judgments. May we not complain or be bitter about the position that thou hast given unto us, in which we are called to labor. But in the day of prosperity, may we be thankful. And in the day of adversity, may we consider how great Thou art. Amen.